0: Amen. I why don't we, uh, why don't we bring coffee time to a close? As wonderful as it is in that corner, there's nothing like that. there's something special, unique about that that particular corner. Yeah, yes, I'll be delivering the sermon as Dan said from the coffee corner. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, we'll just wait. We'll intercede for those still in the corner. We'll just pray for you guys. God would minister to you. We are in the middle of a, in a very um, interesting and wonderful uh, subject this morning. It comes from Mark chapter one verses verse eight, so if you'd like to open up your Bible uh, to there. And uh, in the meantime, while you're doing that, uh, let me just uh, tell you Let me just tell you that this issue, as we began to speak about last week, is uh, very near and dear to my heart. And I want us, and I believe more importantly, Jesus wants us to get it. He wants us to get it. He wants us to be diligent searchers and studiers of the truth so that we, we understand the truth in context. I remember when I was going to Bible school toward the latter years, I was married at this point, last year of Bible college. And I was reading this book, On the Baptism of the Holy Spirit, by a man named Merrill Unger. And I remember thinking to myself, not so much on the gifts of the Spirit, there's a di- distinction and difference there, but on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as I was reading it, I was thinking to myself, this makes a lot of sense, this is exactly what I've been already seeing. And yet there was this desire to say, well, I've got to, I've got to continue in the flow of where I'm going. And I'm not 100% convinced yet, but I, I want to be convinced. I want to know. Then later on as I became a pastor, and if you're interested in this, I would recommend it to you highly. But someone gave me or recommended to me that I get, I can't remember which, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. Now, that sounds like really lofty, high stuff, but it's actually very easy reading. An eighth grader could read it. And I remember going through it, and especially with this subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, thinking to myself, this is right. This is is exactly what Again, the Holy Spirit has at least been bearing witness in my spirit as I, as I read the scriptures. It, it, it feels right. And I love our Pentecostal and charismatic sisters and brothers, and I'm going to get into why we need to thank God for them in, in a little bit. But I knew at that time that God was calling me out of the denomination I was in primarily for that reason. And that's how important this is. That's how important uh, this issue is. Now, when we looked at Mark 1.8 last week, we said that to teach that John the Baptist is actually talking about a second blessing or a second work of grace when he says, he, Jesus, will baptize you in the Holy Spirit, we said that that's not lofty enough. In other words, we believe that this does not do justice enough to the work of the Spirit. If we are saying that John the Baptist, and I hope you're tracking with me, if we are saying that when John the Baptist says, He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. If he's talking about a second blessing, something doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem to reach the majesty, the pinnacle of what he's really trying to say here. If that's all he's saying is, listen, I baptize you with water, uh, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, meaning a second blessing, seems to skip a whole bunch. Namely, conversion. Would John the Baptist do that? Would he be saying, look, the difference between my ministry is I baptize you with water. I baptize you with water, I dunk you with water. The distinction between me and Jesus is, I baptize you with water and Jesus will give you a second blessing. I want you to open up your Bibles to Mark 1.8 because I I just want us to feel this. I want us to think about this as we are going through the text of Scripture. He says this in Mark 1.8, while we were just quoting, I have baptized you with water, but he... Here's the, the contrast. I baptize you with water, but he... He will baptize you with or in. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And we don't reach the pinnacle if we say the contrast is between water and a second blessing. We miss it. We miss the point of the text. The point of what John the Baptist is saying is that the baptism, listen carefully, the baptism in the Spirit is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies we've been talking about. What John the Baptist is saying is, look, all that the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to, that they were pointing forward to, that they were looking forward to in the New Covenant age. They were looking earnestly. They said, yes, there's the work of the Spirit going on in the Old Testament. Evidently, God is at work. That is clear. But they were looking forward to a time when the Spirit of God would come in a much greater level of power. A much greater level of power a much greater level of intensity so that the old covenant people were looking forward to this new covenant time when the spirit would come in majesty and in power and in a profound way as he had not come as he had not come before that's what this is talking about this is talking about the age of the spirit This is talking about a contrast between the Old Testament work of the Holy Spirit and the New Covenant work of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to remember with me, what what are the Old Testament prophets saying? What are they talking about? Well, if you remember, Jeremiah says, listen, when the New Covenant comes, remember Jeremiah chapter 31, when the New Covenant comes, God will write the law on the people's hearts. Instead of people just trying to somehow obey this law that they are powerless to obey, and even though they were under this Mosaic covenant of commands, God says the time is coming where I'm going to come in such a profound way, in such an intimate way, in such a powerful way, that I'm actually going to write the law of God on people's hearts. To where instead of saying, well, I guess I've, I've got to go ahead and do what the Bible says, a person says now under the new covenant age. He's saying, I long because of the Spirit's work. I long. I long to do what God has said and written in His Word. I, I hunger after it. Oh, I see something else at work within me. I see, yes, sin in me. I see the struggle to do what's wrong. There is, this, there is, there is still this uh, temptation at times to do what's wrong, but oh, there's this law of God now that is not just on the outside, but it is actually written on my heart. So now I, I want to do. I want to do and Jeremiah goes on to say in this new covenant age under this new covenant he says they will know me they'll know me they'll know me they'll actually know me as a friend knows a friend they will have a relationship with me and no longer will someone have to say know the Lord for people will automatically as a result of the Holy Spirit's work know the Lord or if you go to Ezekiel he says I will I will sprinkle I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will I will give you a new heart he says I will I will take out the heart of stone I will take out that old heart that is hard-hearted toward the things of God did you know you can talk to someone over and over and over and over about the things of God and they will look at you with a blank stare Until the Holy Spirit reaches into that person's chest cavity and pulls out that old heart of stone. We're not talking about a physical heart here, but the Holy Spirit changes that old heart that's hard and indifferent toward the things of God. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know people in your life that you've been saying and praying for, Lord, 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 they've got this heart of stone but I can't get through. I've been trying, I've been praying, I, 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 I've, I've talked to them before, I, I, I've, I've witnessed to them before, but Lord, the, the looks I get, it's just this, yeah, that's nice, that's okay, I mean, that's good for you, but there's no, there's no softness there. What's missing? The sprinkling of the water. The cleansing of the heart. When that old, dirty, broken down, hard-hearted heart against the things of God all of a sudden becomes soft and pliable and you can see it in a person's face. They go from resisting the things of the Spirit being stiff-necked In opposition to the things of God. God, you stay over there. I stay here. I'm happy the way that I am. You leave me alone. That's good for other people. They got some religion. Good for them. And all of a sudden he says, but I, I will, I will, in Ezekiel, he says, I will put my spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit comes to actually reside within a person within a person's being, this intimate relationship where all of a sudden they now, they now know God. Listen, you can never, you can never, ever, ever force or twist anyone's arm into the kingdom of heaven. Can't. You can't do it with your spouse. You can't do it with your children. Listen, you can't even do it with yourself. And we need to see the splendor of what's going on here. What John the Baptist is saying according to Joel 2 is he's saying, look, all that the prophets were prophesying, the pouring out of the spirit in Joel 2 and all that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. John the Baptist is saying, look, like Peter this is that the one that we've been waiting for year after year after year decade after decade hundreds of years that we have been waiting for this is the one who comes who's greater than Moses who is the spirit bearer and from him as he ascends into heaven he will send the Holy Spirit And he will baptize people in the Holy Spirit, giving them a new heart, giving them a change of direction. So the question is, when does this take place? Is what John the Baptist is saying, is he's saying this is, a, this is a second work that you get sometime after conversion, that you get saved here, and then later on John the Baptist is talking about then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit a year, five years later, ten years later? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what he's teaching. What is he teaching? What is he so clearly teaching? He is saying, listen, the new age has come. Jesus Christ, the Spirit-bearer, is going to come and he's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to change people's hearts. And I would simply ask you the question this morning. When is the law of God written on your heart? When was your heart cleansed and changed? When was your heart made soft and pliable from a heart of stone all of a sudden to a heart of flesh. When was it that the Spirit of God was actually given to you? So now that instead of having to do the things of God, you actually want to do the things of God. When was the Spirit of God poured out upon you to where you turned from darkness and you turned to Jesus Christ because your heart has so been radically changed to where you want him this is why jesus said in john chapter 3 he said this same line of thinking he said a man must be born again to see the kingdom of god so what is he teaching here so that we're all very clear a person is baptized in the holy spirit at conversion That's what this is teaching. The contrast is between the old covenant and the new covenant. The contrast is between heart of stone and new soft heart of flesh. The contrast is between no spirit, no desire for the law of God, to now a hunger for God and a desire for the law of God. That's why we can open up the Psalms and say with the psalmist, I delight to do your law. See before we were Christian we couldn't say that. We didn't delight to do God's law. It was a burden to us. We 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 despised it the law of God. I mean come on, give me a break. We don't want to obey the things of God. I mean that's that's not what we want. But all of a sudden there's a change. And John the Baptist is saying, "Look. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one. Now the question remains In what of those kind of texts where it looks like people seem to get saved, and then all of a sudden later on, at least in the text, it seems like there's this second blessing or second work of grace. We know that's not what is going on there. And what we need to understand is that there was this transition time in the book of Acts between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. People hadn't experienced the New Covenant blessing of the Spirit yet. And so we see in Acts different groups coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit to where the church and the church leaders is saying, yes, they got it. They are no longer under the age of the Old Covenant, just like the Jews were, but they have now also experienced the same thing that we experienced. I want to show this to you in Scripture, so why don't you go with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 8. Now Jesus is, is, uh, is speaking here. And he says here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it is so good to see so many heads in Bibles. I'll tell you what, this is a sight to see. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power. Now, remember, we're talking here about new covenant age of the Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea that's the region there where they're at currently in this text this is where they're located and Samaria and to the ends of the earth I want you to know something that happens in Acts 2 the Spirit of God falls They're not receiving a second work or a second blessing. They're receiving the new covenant age of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They are going from the old covenant. This is what Jesus has been preaching. This is what John the Baptist has been preaching. This is why we say that we are spirit people. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that the spirit of God falls on that little early church. The group had been praying not much bigger than the group in this room. And so what Jesus said was fulfilled. They received power, the power, the new covenant blessing of power in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judea, that region where they were. And then you get to Acts chapter 8 where we read last week, and you find that Philip is preaching, and who's he preaching to? He's preaching to Samaritans. This is the second group that Jesus talked about. Philip's so exciting. Jesus had said, listen, this gospel will be preached. You shall receive power. This gospel will go forward from Jerusalem, Judea. They receive it. Now you get to Acts chapter 8, and Philip begins to preach, and the people receive the good news. But instead of the Holy Spirit falling right away which we would expect they send a couple apostles to samaria they lay hands on them and there was a delay in what they had received there what the samaritans had received and it was when they laid their hands upon them that they also received now the new age the new covenant blessing of the holy spirit they were transferred from the old covenant experience they had believed in christ they were definitely christians But in God's providence, he had delayed the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them so that the church could say, my, 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 my. You mean the Samaritans get it too? This is true. He didn't just fall on us Jews in Acts chapter two, but he also falls on Samaritans In Acts chapter 8, and now the apostles can go back to the church and say, look, it's true. What Jesus Christ said is absolutely right. The Spirit comes to Jerusalem, Judea, and just like he said, it spreads out to Samaria. Samaritans are coming to Christ. They're receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing time. And then we go to Acts chapter 10. And we see where the Spirit of God falls as Peter is even preaching upon the Gentiles. The uttermost parts of the earth. This scripture is not teaching, look, a Christian needs to to get saved and then later on they need to somehow come to this second work or second blessing. That's not what this is teaching. This is teaching, listen, this is teaching something far greater, far better And that is the age of the Spirit that was prophesied all the way back here in the Old Testament by Moses and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that was prophesied by Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and all the Old Testament prophets. They saw this age of the Spirit that was coming. It is is throughout Scripture all over the place. In fact, I would say to you, just try to do a search of Spirit in your Bible, and you will see this is why we say that we are people of the Spirit. They're looking forward. They're looking forward to this age of the Spirit. But they didn't see it all. And here comes Jesus. You can see John's exciting. The age of the Spirit has come. The age of the Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the work of empowerment, all that we've been looking forward to is is here. Jesus, the Spirit-bearer, is here. And then you jump to Acts, and you see that the Spirit of God is not only for Jews, but he's for Samaritans, and he's for Gentiles, He's for white people, and black people, and brown people, and red people, and yellow people. Mind-blowing what's going on here. The age of the Spirit has dawned. This is what they were looking forward to. This is why, this is why it's so exciting. They were looking, they were waiting with anticipation for that new covenant to come. Oh, it's much greater. It's much greater than just saying, well, now that you've been saved, you need a second blessing. No, it's far superior. It's far more lofty than that. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So why don't you flip with me there? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, what's interesting is just how you know, clear this verse is. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, Our one body, so it is with Christ. Now, this is the verse that we're focusing on here, verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, this is is a little bit tricky here, but it's something that we need to get. Pentecostals have come and they have a problem because they say, the text clearly says here, all have been baptized in the Spirit. Well, not according to them if you've not received this second work of grace, but Paul is saying, listen, Paul is saying all believers have been baptized in the Spirit. And they say, no, this is actually talking about a different baptism. Here, here's the problem with that. In the Greek, All of the exact elements that are everywhere else, and all the other times the baptism of of the Holy Spirit is mentioned, they're mentioned here in this text as well. And because Paul and and translators don't want to be redundant, because you can see it talks about into one body, they don't want to say in the Spirit, in one body, so they've changed up the wording a little bit just not to be redundant. The only difference from the other times is that Paul here doesn't say Holy Spirit. He just says one spirit or spirit. So what is Paul teaching here? It's very clear. Paul is teaching this. Same thing that's taught everywhere else. All believers, all believers, all genuinely converted, true believers have been baptized in the holy spirit that's what he's teaching that's what's taught elsewhere throughout scripture and that's explicitly what is taught here in this text you can't get around it and paul is teaching this paul is paul is telling us there isn't this second work second level but he's saying this all believers have come into this experience of cleansing of regeneration of renewal all of the things that we would associate to the work of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of conversion, the beginning of salvation, he says this, all believers, say all believers, believers have been been baptized in the Spirit. Spirit. All believers. So if someone comes up to you and says, have you been baptized in the Spirit? You say, Yes. yes. In fact, I love what and Sean said last week, boy, is he funny. He said someone, uh, someone was telling me that someone had asked, are you baptized in the spirit? And he said the answer to that should be, am I a Christian? <laughs> yes, that's the right way of thinking. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching. This is what John the Baptist is teaching. This is what the whole scripture is teaching. Listen, this is why, this is why we come under the authority of scripture. We don't say, well, I feel this way or I've been taught this, or it's been my, my tradition in church that we've been taught this. That's not how we handle the text of scripture. We say, this is the word of God. Listen, we wouldn't even know that there's a Holy spirit without this book. So don't you think that we should listen to this book when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit instead of ourselves? Now, I want to give you some, some reasons why this matters. Why this is, why this is such a, a big deal. Is you can say, well, you know, okay, so we're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Reason number one, and I think this is the, the most important is I don't want us and Jesus does not want us to miss the grandeur of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want us to miss it. That we understand how big this is. That this isn't just trifling with, with an issue of That we should just be kind of indifferent over. But this is the promise. This is the pinnacle of the promise of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied for hundreds of years. And that John the Baptist wasn't looking past conversion, he was looking to it. And he was seeing the work of the Spirit in conversion as lofty and high. I don't want us to miss this morning that you and I, we live in the age of the Spirit. We live in the age of the Spirit. You know, as I was, I was singing uh, worship songs with you this morning, and we were worshiping Jesus, I was just thinking, you know, the only reason we can do that, that we can worship Jesus, is because we feel His power and His presence. We know He's with us. How do we know He's with us? Well, we know He's with us because of the Holy Spirit. So if we came in and we were singing songs to just some, let's say, political official or the king, we wouldn't have that same sense. This is not just about going back in time and trying to revere a historical figure with no living attachment now. You know, like we look back to George Washington, or we look back to some other historical figure, and we say, this is a really neat figure. It's not just that. It's Yes, Jesus was historical. Yes, he came in time and space. But the reason that we can talk about him like we know him is because of what Jeremiah 31 says. You will know him. And your heart will be cleansed. The spirit will be poured out on you i was wondering how many people might be in this church this morning that don't know jesus and like you should be thinking this morning this blows my mind you should be looking around here this morning going how are these people worshiping this this god that they can't see and they, they, they seem to actually love him and they, they raise their hands and, you know, I'm bored. I can, what time is it? I can't wait to get out of church today. And is this sermon almost over? And you're just thinking, someone dragged me to church this morning. And I don't even get why I'm here. I don't even like church. It's for old people. And what you don't understand and what you need to begin thinking about is this. The reason we're excited... And the reason that we actually act like we know Christ is because we do. And at some point in our life, Jesus showed us our sin. And he showed us how hopeless we were without Christ. He showed us that we needed to be forgiven. And the Holy Spirit came in and seized our heart and made it soft and made it pliable. And that's a miracle. And forever we'll thank the Lord for invading our life. Lord, thank you for invading my life. Thank you for not letting me go the direction I wanted to go because if it wasn't for you, I'd be headed down the wrong path. Lord, if you didn't break in, if you didn't come in the power of the Holy Spirit, if you didn't soften me, if you didn't change me, and I'd be hopeless without you. Matthew chapter eleven, verse eleven. Matthew eleven, verse eleven. Matthew eleven. Matthew eleven. Verse eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, Jesus is talking. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's amazing praise. He says, Among those born of women, there's no one greater than than JB. Listen to what he says. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's that mean? I mean, what's Jesus talking about? He says, he says, listen, he says, John the Baptist is the great, greatest born among women, yet yet, the person in the kingdom of heaven is even greater. I mean, isn't that what he's saying here in, in Matthew here? This is the, 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 has tasted the, the kingdom of heaven. What, what is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. He's saying this. And he who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What's that mean? He's saying John the Baptist is the last in a long line of Old Testament prophets. And John the Baptist is looking forward and saying that this one, the Christ, the Messiah, he's the one who's going to, he hasn't yet at this time, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. You know what? John never got to see it. In fact, John's head got chopped off and put on a platter. And what Jesus is saying is this. You get to see it. You're living in the age that John was talking about. The age of the Spirit the baptism in the Holy Spirit that he so eagerly looked forward to, you're in it today. And so the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he because you actually live in the new covenant. That's what he's saying. Jesus said many things very similar to this. If you go to John chapter 14, John chapter 14 John chapter 14, listen to Jesus' excitement as he talks here, and he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. Listen to this, you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus is looking forward. Look at uh, John chapter uh, Sixteen, John chapter 16, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let me ask you this. Is that exactly what's happened? Has the Holy Spirit come? For 2,000 years, he's been convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So Jesus is looking forward to this new covenant blessing. John the Baptist is looking forward to it. give you a few other reasons here too. Part of the problem with this teaching of you've been saved, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit number 1 we miss the grandeur of the teaching of scripture. We actually miss out on the splendor of the work of the Holy Spirit. But number 2 it creates two class Christianity. You have your regular Christians and then you have your super turbocharged Christians. So you have people over here, they say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, praise the Lord. But I'll tell you what, brother, sister, I'm on a different plane than you because I've received this second deal that's going on and I've got more going on. I'm more entombed with the Spirit. That is pride. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you really believe that men like Martin Luther were actually less than Christians because they never received this second blessing? Do you think when we go and we hear someone like Alistair Begg, we say, well, that's cool, that's that's good that uh, you're a Christian, man, you're a pretty good Bible teacher, but I'll tell you what, man, you need to be more in tune with the Spirit. You see what that does? Now here's what happens. When we go and we listen to someone like Alistair Begg, or when we read people like Martin Luther, we're not reading second-class Christians, but we are reading people, listen, who have received the same spirit that you and I have received. And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians says over and over again, they're all divided, well, I speak in tongues and you don't speak in tongues, so I've got more. And Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. And there's these super apostles in Paul's day teaching all this false stuff, getting people uh, whooped up and whipped up into this frenzy of, well, we're, we're, we really know what we're, we're really in tune with the Spirit. Paul comes along and says, no, no, for we've all drunk of the same Spirit. We've all been baptized in the Spirit. And we've all received the new covenant blessing of the Spirit. That's what he's teaching. That's what he's teaching. And I can tell you this from experience of my own. That I've seen discouragement come. we were talking about this on Wednesday night where people who are told listen if you want this second blessing second work of grace you need to speak in tongues or something like that I'm not coming from the outside I grew up in it and I saw and I I I saw people being prayed for who love Jesus and yet they would go away and they would not seem to have what everyone else was looking for them to have and they might have intended well they might have not been trying to say look we're better than you but that's that's what comes across because the person goes home and says I was really trying to I think I'm really trying to pursue this but I'm just not getting that exact experience that they want me to And out of that has come a host of other doctrinal errors that we could list. Because if you don't pay attention to the scripture in a big area like this, you're going to also miss it in other areas as well. And that's exactly what we've seen over and over and over again. Be very careful about the person who just always seems so in tune with the spirit and you're not. You're not. The the person most in tune with the Spirit is the most humble. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, they're they're filled with self-sacrificial love. Love is not proud, Paul says. Love does not envy or boast. It's not a braggart. It doesn't like to brag about itself. But like John the Baptist, it takes the low road and says, I'm not even worthy to unstrap his sandals. Now, I want to leave you with two things. We're going to conclude with this. This is it. There's two conclusions I think we can come to from all of this. And number one is we need a lot greater emphasis on the Holy Spirit in conversion. You know, I believe, like Wayne Grudem says, I believe it with my whole heart. I believe that there are people who have had second experiences with God, and they're actually getting saved for the first time. So someone is coming to church, they're listening to the word. They say, yeah, 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 I believe in Jesus. Sure, he died for my sins. And yeah, 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 I believe that he rose again and that he's coming again. I believe all that. I'll sign the card and I'll join the church and all that. But listen, they've never been cut to the heart. They've never really, their heart has never really been diced up and broken before the Lord. They've they've never really experienced the, the power of the Holy Spirit. They can't worship. I mean, it's just like, they're sneaky. Their life is sneaky. Is your life sneaky? Is your life sneaky? Is your life hidden in the shadows? Sneaky life what you watch on the Internet the things that you say to your friends the friends that you have the things that you're doing with girls the things that you're doing with boys the places that you're going the way too much drinking Are you convicted when you sleep around are are you convicted when you when you push that button on the Internet and all of a sudden all those images come up you know in your heart this isn't right, but you're drawn to it like a moth to the flame. And you feel so convicted coming to church. You don't even like it. I mean, it's like you come. Someone told you to come or you feel like you gotta come. You, you, you just, you, you have to come for some reason. But you come in and you leave unchanged. Listen. The Spirit of God is here this morning, not to give you a second blessing, but to convert your soul. And when you actually receive the Holy Spirit, because Peter said this is for all, read Acts 2, not for some Christians, for all, and he says you will be saved, the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, oh, yeah, you'll still sin. But you'll change. You might even sin greatly at times. But your heart now will be broken. The second thing I want to say, and this is it, is we need, as Christians, fresh encounters with God. We don't need second works or second blessings, but we need to be filled with the Spirit continually. Paul says in Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, it's be being filled continually. And I want to tell you something this morning. God wants you to experience him after you're saved. So you say, well, what about the people who have? were genuinely saved and all of a sudden they encounter God in this unbelievable way and they do begin to speak in real tongues. You know what I say? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because the experience is real, but it's been labeled incorrectly. Did you know John Wimber said this? He said that you can have good medicine and label the bottle incorrectly. Isn't that good? And so what is happening is people aren't getting a second. It's not taking them to the second work of grace or the second blessing. But do you think the experiences in many cases are real? Absolutely yes. And here's what I would say. We need more of them. We need more. You say, well, what should you call these experiences when someone really does encounter God and boom, God puts them out on the ground or they begin to speak in tongues or maybe they're in the car and they're just weeping before the Lord and maybe it's not a matter of going to the ground or anything like that. Maybe they just fall to their knees and they're just worshiping God like they've never before. What do you call that? Filling of the Holy Spirit and we need it continually. In fact, the Bible says, That we need it over and over and over and over again. And I believe that there are people in this church here this morning that are Christians and are afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit. There are also Christians in this church, and you know you're dry. You know you're dry. The Lord loves you this morning, and he wants to give you a fresh encounter with him. And I love what Patty said, and it's the same thing my mom's been saying for years, what she said on Wednesday night. The Lord just takes us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the things of God. And I pray that we have such a sensitivity in our church to, this, to the things of the Spirit that we're not the church that says, oh, no, we don't believe in those experiences. Those aren't for today. Oh, yes, they're for today. How can you read the Bible and not say they are? I mean, how many times in Acts do we see people, they didn't just pray. They say, Lord, we've, we ask you for this. And then they say, well, I guess he was here. Let's, uh, let's close up the meeting. They experienced him in power and in glory. And that's what we need today in the church. Not only in our church, but in church after church after church. That the Spirit of God would fall in such a profound way that there would be people who are crushed and yet mesmerized at the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Just mesmerized at his glory. Unleashed in worship prophesying, being used in the gifts of the Spirit, being used in healing and all of the gifts that come. You know what Paul said, and I couldn't agree with him more? He said, I wish that you would all speak in tongues. It's in the Bible. Doesn't mean everyone is, but that's how I feel. And I wanna ask you, do you feel that same way? Not every gift is for every person. So we don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, if I don't get this particular experience that I'm looking for, I'm going to go back defeated and depressed. Here's what we do. We just come before the Lord and we say, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me, I want it. Fill my cup, Lord. Gordon Fee says, but what happens is that the dynamic experiential quality of the Christian life, as life in the Spirit also seems to be the first element to go, thus there arose a generation that never knew about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know, my biggest fear for my kids is this, that they don't know the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this, you want your kids to know? The power of the Holy Spirit. I'd rather have my kids experience the Holy Spirit and have it labeled incorrectly than never experience Him at all. And lastly, they, that is Pentecostals, Charismatics, belong to that tradition of piety, listen to this, that cried out, Oh God, fill me with Yourself, and your power, or I die. Out of that hunger and cry, they experienced a mighty encounter with God and the Holy Spirit. Is that how you feel this morning? God, unless I encounter you, I'm going to die. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, we need you this morning.